Hits. Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, episode number seven, where we talk about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. I'm Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. What up, yo? <laughs> Casey Atkins. Gonna mix it up every time, aren't you? Hello. <laughs> and down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy, hoy. This week we're going to talk about yet another five songs from 1991, taking us through from July till about pretty much to the end of the year, 2nd of November. And we might as well get into it. Our first song tonight is Read My Lips by Melissa. Byron, why don't you start with this one? Do you, as someone who's a little bit younger than us, do you remember this song and how do you feel about it? Yeah, I remember this song because I'd started paying attention to the charts by this point. So I remember, but it's pretty vague. And I think um, her other song, Sexy is the Word, is the one I remember slightly better. But yeah, this one, I don't know, it was just kind of, like at the time, I just kind of remember thinking it was sort of anonymous dance pop, like it wasn't sort of worth thinking that much about at the time. And yeah, I, I listen to it now. And, oh, my God, it's so amateurish. It's just, like, it feels so amateurish to me. Like, she, as a singer, like, she, she's singing the notes in tune, but she's not singing them well. She has no <laughs> presence. She has no um, ability to sell the song. To She doesn't really sound right in singing it. She doesn't sort of act the song well. And, like, you know, she, she's also like that in the video. Like, she doesn't sort of, like, come across as super sexy. She just she seems a bit rabbit in the headlightsy. And yeah, the production behind her is a bit like that as well. It's like, it's trying to do the club thing, but it's not kind of sophisticated enough or kind of simple enough to really do it. It's kind of in this weird middle, middle ground between simple and sophisticated that doesn't work. And so, yeah, I listen to it now and I just sort of cringe. Well, tell us what you really think. Uh, <laughs> Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh, yeah, I get, I've got a what Tim Byron is saying there. I, re- I remember the song quite well um, from the time. Obviously, it got to it got to number one, so it sold a lot of cop- a lot of copies. And obviously, some people were were finding that um, this was the last word in sexy, so to speak. Uh, I, I didn't particularly like it at the time. I developed a little bit of a distaste for that dance poppy thing. Her being a TV starlet probably didn't help because that had already become a bit of a pipeline for for uh, actresses or actors wanting to be musicians in Australia, and that hadn't really gone well outside of Kylie Minogue. Um, so beyond that, and obviously that's what Melissa Kaus was was trying to replicate. Yeah, listening to it now, it's uh, I, I was just shocked at how. Terrible it was. So, Tim Cole, you, before sorry, Casey, before I bring you in, you just said Melissa 
What? How did you pronounce it? Cows, cows, I believe. Was it's not two cows? No, no, no. Uh, it's a silent T. The silent T? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's then Django, Django. Okay. Casey, what about you? What do you think of that? Like Django Unchained. Yeah, Django Reinhardt. Um... Look, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get a lot of differing opinions from the room <laughs> on this song, really. It was just one of those. I had no affinity for this music at the time and I certainly don't now. Um, I don't know whether I feel like it was anything particularly worse than anything else of the genre going around at the time. Um, but now it is um, yeah, it's pretty embarrassing to try and listen to. People tend to deride the use of auto-tune. Here is where I really wish it existed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it's, right. uh, it's, it's, it's dreadful. But and I can't believe that it, in some of the, the company, you know, that it's in, maybe not some of the other things we're listening to this week, but in some of the things that we have listened to, some of the great songs that we've heard, I, I'm... I guess puzzled at how this one makes it all the way to the top. How long was it at number one for? Uh, it was number one for, let me have a look. Sorry. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Which isn't very long. Uh, Danny? I feel, look, there's not really much else I can say. I I find it interesting that Tim Byron said that the song was fine in the day and worse when you listen to back. And I think I kind of agree with that, that it was kind of fine. I remember this on the radio. But just, I guess, for those who don't know, Melissa Counts. Sorry, is it Counts or t- Cat Counts? Yeah, there's no okay. yeah. Uh, English in my second language, and I don't know what her last name comes from. So it's pretty not English. It's well, uh, T's apparently. Oh, yeah. he's done the research again. Oh, really? <laughs> sounds uh, more. Uh, I know her. One of her parents was either German or something Europe, <laughs> Central European, and that sounds a lot more Germanic to me. So. She's Chicalian. Um, and well, she was on E Street. And that was the thing. And mm. I was trying to remember without look before I looked it up and knowing this song was coming out this week, I was going, was she from home and away? And was she from mm. whatever? And it was East Street, which was so big, but kind of not talked about now. Well, East Street um, missed me completely. I don't know. Uh, a lot of people that are maybe slightly older than me or maybe people from other cities, maybe we missed it on, it wasn't on those channels that we got in. Uh, we're, we're back into the territory. Right. <laughs> we only got to yeah. the station. But so. I never watched East Street either, and I think that was because I was nine. But I got the impression that it was trying to be like a Beverly Hills 90210 or like a Melrose Place, kind of like adult kind of soap opera kind of thing. No, it was just, just a soap. It was just a soap. And oh, the okay. great thing that, um, which I remembered, but I re-found the story this week, is how they introduced this song. You know, we talked about Skyhooks, which goes how it was tied into Hey Hey Saturday. This song was tied into E Street by them going, okay, so we want to make her into a pop star. How do we do it? We've made this film clip. How do we incorporate it into the show? And so her character had a dream that she was a pop star. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 then they cut to the film clip, the whole thing, and then they cut back to her. Hey. Okay. Interesting, but genius. Arguably better than the way that they did uh, the Delta song. On how they do the Delta song? Oh, she just like randomly broke into the song at some really? point. Yeah, it was no dream. <laughs> it was just yeah. It was a whole bloody song. Yeah. Not that I ever but watched Nervous except for that period. Of that <laughs> <seven years>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess with um, with Read My Lips. I mean, one of the things about it, like talking about neighbors and talking about TV, is. 
Um, there's just so many more people who watch an episode of like E Street or Neighbours than would ever buy a single. That's it, general. exactly. Yes. So they all went out and bought this song, which is sad. Um, Enough of them did it, at least. Yeah. Uh, look, it's, it's so bizarre, and it was so bizarre listening to it. And my first thought was there, there's an episode of Pinky in the Brain where the brain's idea to conquer the world was to release a pop song and kind of watching the the MTV, watching MTV, uh, I think Achy Breaky Heart was number one at the time. So he decides to become Bubba Bo Bob Brain and use, <laughs> and use a song to brainwash the entire world. And th- th- exactly what I thought was, <laughs> look, this just sounded like a, a song that some alien race or some despotic regime of a Pinchonian you had thrown together to try to brainwash the entirety of Australia. And it worked for two weeks. <laughs> it worked for two weeks. It just, yeah, it, it sounds, as I said, like an alien race or just, <laughs> or as though some committee has gotten into a room somewhere and just gone, yeah, what do Bush and Square listen to? It does, it, on that, it does kind of sound like a song written by committee. <laughs> yeah. Well, oddly enough, on Wikipedia, the writers are Pinky and the Brain. hits. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to... Um, second song of tonight. This song was number one for 11 mm, weeks, the highest-selling single of the year. Um, Possibly still one of the highest-selling singles for all time. Mm-hmm. From the 27th of July, 1991, till about mid-2003, the number one song was Brian Adams' <laughs> Everything I Do, I Do It For You. with everything I do. Sorry, let me do that again. It's Brian Adams with brackets, everything I do, <laughs> close brackets. Parentheses. I do it for you. <laughs> and it was number one for 11 weeks in July of 1991. And because of the look in your face, Casey, I'm going to ask you to go first. How do you feel about this, the highest oh. selling single of 1991? Man, like... <laughs> So I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago my rule that I set for myself that I'd listen to every song at least uh, all the way through at least once and Julie Cruz, Falling by Julie Cruz, really severely tested that. Jeez, if I was tested by Julie Cruz, was I tested by this? And what killed me the most was there was a, there was a point. There was, I, I had a couple of false starts where I only got like about a minute into it and just had to stop. And then um, there was that point where I, I did listen to it all the way through, but there's a false ending. Mm. I thought yes. it was over and then it starts again. Uh, um, 
Yeah, this was um, a, 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 def- a definite sign that rage was over at this point. And, um, <laughs> rage was over for me about seven minutes early for 11 weeks in right. 1991. Um, what a pile of drivel. I just... I don't even really want to talk about it because I don't want to get myself angry. And I don't even hate Brian Adams as much as I possibly, like, could or should or anything. Like, there's plenty of things that I won't kind of actively run away from. Um, and, you know, we do Summer 69 sometimes in my cover band and um, songs like Run To You and stuff, they just, they're just those kind of rock FM triple M kind of songs and they're fairly innocuous, but this is just offensive. I want to talk more about Brian Adams with the group, but Tim Mm. Byron, what about you? Yeah, at the time, I think I remember sort of liking it at the start. And then once it had been number one for 11 bloody weeks, (laughs) I had gotten sick of it. But the thing is for me, um, most of the time that this was number one in Australia, I was not in Australia. I'd gone to the UK at about this point with my with my mum and my brother, and um, in the UK this was number one for sixteen weeks. <laughs> to put that perspective, that is what almost a third of the year. Yeah, yeah. that's that's four four months. It's like a whole season. <laughs> it's like the season. You know, instead of the, the summer of George, they had the summer Brian of Adams. Brian Adams, <laughs> <laughs> or the summer of '69. It just kind of revisited itself. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, like to, to me, like. I think I liked it sort of at the start and then I kind of got pretty tired of it because it's sort of, you know, it's a slow, boring movie ballad kind of thing. As I listen to it now, um, I, I listen to it and I, and I can see how brilliantly constructed it is and how how good it is at being the kind of song it is. Yeah. I still kind of basically dis- despise the kind of song it is, but I listen to it, I know how well it is. And I mean, listening to it, um, you know, that, that bit at the end where, like, he's like, I'll die for you, and it goes to the minor. Yeah. Um, that still gives me goosebumps, and I'm annoyed that it gives me goosebumps, but it's still <laughs> giving me the bloody goosebumps. <laughs> hey, I've got a question for you, Tim. Did you learn how to play it on piano? I don't think so, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't like it that much. <laughs> Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh, okay, well, first, firstly, oh, uh, to, to, to put this into into context, uh, hearing this after Read My Lips, this sounded like fucking Let Be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, there's that. <laughs> uh, look, at the time... I remember the first time I saw this, I was on holiday with uh, with my cousins in Port Macquarie at the time, and I was watching watching Rage, and this came on, and it was, I don't know, it was number three or number two or even went straight to number one. And my cousin said, hey, this is, my cousin Greg said, hey, this is a good song. And he, Greg was a bit like a big brother to me at this point in time, like, yeah, it's a, it's a great song. And after that, I just became that huge Brian Adams fan and quite... Apart from what Casey and Tim Byron have been saying, that this was at the top of the charts for 11 weeks, I'd probably lost interest in the song itself by that stage. But if we're looking at songs like football teams, this was like winning the league and cup double at the time for for me. So, yeah. Um, And, yeah, this kind of carried on. The Brian Adams thing carried on for quite a few more years. And this became kind of a footnote because Brian Adams has a lot better songs than everything I do. I do it for you but it's, it? it's interesting that mm-hmm. this was the the artist i'd latched onto 
at the time because I think Brian Adams is someone who's kind of pitched to people who kind of like that rocky sound but can't let go, <laughs> just or unable to kind of loosen up um, either mentally or physically. I started experiencing pretty intense social anxiety at the time. So, um, yeah, and kind of coming from the background I came from, it's unoffensive, it's bland, it's anonymous kind of rock music that fitted who I was trying to be at the time, which was quite anonymous. And, yeah, I think that's maybe why it resonated the way it did. Uh, Listening to it this week, I'm not as offended by it as Casey was, but it's not a great song, but there's some... Nicely constructed bits about it, but yeah. I love this song. So I kind of knew just <laughs> yeah. given where we've been. I, I mean, I guess there's no irony in it for me. You know, I just went and I liked it when I was a kid. I knew it all. Like, I mean, you hated it, but did you know it? You, did you know the song really well or did you avoid it? I don't think I could avoid it. I yeah, could exactly. avoid it if I tried. Yeah, and you'd almost, like, if forced at gunpoint or really trunk point, to sing it at a karaoke, would you even need the lyrics? It'd have to be a gun. Yeah. But there is just, I, and I think I agree with Tim Byron here, it is so well constructed, so well made as a song, and it is just, it's a perfect power ballad. Mm. It is, if it was by someone other than Brian Adams, uh, it might be more appropriate because it's not really Brian Adams. But on the other hand, I think that made, because he was the rock guy doing the ballad. and Yeah, so I really, really love this song. The thing that I remember a couple of years ago, this came onto my iPod, and I just remember sing, listening to it, and I remember where I was. I was in a car, and just the first piano notes came in, and it's so confident, you know, it just plays that motif. And I just had this thought of, the very first time Brian Adams went to the record company and played this for the record company, and then just the record company guys is looking around and going, high-fiving each other and just <laughs> playing the songs finish. And, then and they just all got boners. Yeah, <laughs> and they just went and had a long lunch. You know, it's just, uh, you know, this sounds like what the number one song should be. It sounds like my skin crawl. It sounds like. <laughs> Has there ever been a song that's had like a more extravagant declaration of undying love? I mean, because everything he does, he does it for her. Everything. <laughs> you know, he brushes his teeth for her. Bless when he goes to the nose. toilet, he does that for her. <laughs> Dear, I just did that for you. Lucky Mrs. Adams. <laughs> That's the great thing about that Fly the Concord song, that where they make fun of that, right? Where Brett is trying to write that song about I would climb the highest mountains for you and Jermaine, and he's playing the song for Jermaine, and Jermaine just goes, would you really? Goes, no, <laughs> yeah. I don't really like climbing mountains. Whole, so no, would you? Yeah, so that's – but I guess how do we feel about Brian Adams? Because I would have to say that up until this point, this song was not typical of Brian Adams. And then after this point, oh, my God, did he have some terrible, terrible ballads. It's and we'll be talking think, about most of them. Well, it's interesting to think, uh, for, for Casey, for you, who yeah. hate this song, is this his worst song? <sighs> mm, I Probably not even. <laughs> <laughs> and, have- and, this, and this is the other thing that I don't, like I said before, I don't, necessarily just completely hate Brian Adams as a thing. Like he has his function. He's kind of like 
you know, John Bon Jovi in a way, or in a lot of ways, really, and um, like a bit of a Canadian Bon Jovi, and and we talked about Bon Jovi, and there was a lot of Bon Jovi that I liked, but um, yeah, I don't know. Throw, throw out some uh, some other singles. Well, I just want to talk that we're not going to talk about. Yeah, so <laughs> let's just talk about. And I guess the other question is, do you have a favourite Brian Adams song mm. in terms of before this time, like in the eighties? I don't know. Like I. Um, is anyone's favourite Brian Adams songs not going to be Summer of 69? Yeah. I, I find the vocal, uh, uh, what gets me about him, apart from, you know, even though I don't, you know, completely hate him, and Summer of 69 has its thing, and, and I, I don't mind Run To You, I think that's an all right song, but um, I find there's something in his voice, there's this kind of this forced, this is real effort in, in his voice for him to sing, like his kind of... Um, has to try really hard to sing and on this particular song everything just seemed it's that forced kind of nature of his voice anyway times a hundred and that just jars on me so much yeah i think listening to a lot of it in retrospect the 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 dirt in the voice at times feels a little strained and forced oh absolutely so yeah it may not have actually been his natural singing voice (laughs) The other thing about this that I wanted to talk about was, um, I, I'm surprised we didn't get to already, is this, this was from a movie. Mm. It's the it's movie ballad. And so like um, Melissa, the, I think the reason why it got to number one was so many more people saw the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves than were buying singles in general. And so all of them went out and bought this single, apparently. Was was this from Robin? What, what am I? I'm thinking of that All for Love one. What's that from? Oh, the three musketeers. No. Oh, three musketeers. And, and we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Oh, right. this no, is, and this that film, it's funny enough, It's. I don't think it's well-remembered, but I think it was a great film. Well, I, re- I, I loved it when I watched it as a kid. Look, Robin Hood's one of those iconic myths within mm. our culture, and it's odd that film insofar as it's Robin Hood was played with an American accent by a conservative American actor who turned it into a love story mm. and completely diluted the social justice aspect of it. Um, so it's it's weird. Because he's the prince of thieves rather than the robber of the rich and the giver to the poor. He's the prince. Mm. Well, it's as I said, it's a love story and about Robin Hood's fealty to Richard the Lionheart. It's not actually about deep injustices inflicted upon the poor yeah. by the wealthy being rectified by by a man of the poor. There's In the also- end, I, I just loved Robin Hood Men in Tights. The yeah, I was going to bring that up. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Far superior. <laughs> this next song was number one for just one week on the 12th of October, 1991. This is Martika with Love, Thy Will Be Done. One perfect complex 
that was love, thy will be done. And you have to put that gap in because it says Oops, love. Dot, dot, dot. Thy will be done by Martika. Number one for one week on the 12th of October, 1991. Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? How do you feel about this song? Um, okay. I, I love Toy Soldiers when it came out. It's, it's a fantastic song. This song I'm very lukewarm, I was very lukewarm about uh, at the time and I'm very lukewarm about it still. It's um, oddly enough, this is a Prince collaboration and mm. this has none of the life and verve that you associate with Prince at all. It's a pretty stilted devotional song for mine that doesn't seem to convey any great depth of, of spiritual feeling within it. And also the way Martika was was marketed and the way she uses her voice here, the, the Madonna comparisons, the just trying to be Madonna aspect of it, but a very safe, family-friendly version of Madonna. It's it's very transparent and I think it takes it takes the song down a few notches because it is just uh, a an attempt to replicate what Madonna was doing, but without any of the, the interesting bits. Mm, interesting. Tim Byron, what about you? I basically disagree with Tim Coyle. I, I don't think it's, <laughs> like, I think it's, it's got the, the verve and life that Prince has in it. And I think the thing with the song, the best thing about this song is the backing vocals and, and like the, the harmonies that are in the background that like build and build over the song. And so you get these like bits where like, you know, it, it's such a sort of a quiet kind of peaceful song. And then suddenly like you've got the backing vocals going satisfied. <laughs> and stuff like that, and it builds up, and then there's the kind of bit where they, uh, where they start doing all the triplets in in the in the harmonies, and there's this big stacked harmonies doing triplets, and it kind of in context, I think that's really exciting and really kind of like it, it gets at something in the song. It gets at kind of the like it, it, it's sort of a song that's trying to be like this nice devotional kind of peaceful faithy kind of song. Like it's a song that like you could replace the word love with the word God, and it would basically be the same song, except that Martique is trying to go for that kind of ambiguousness where it could be about like, you know, an, an undying love or it could be about God. And, and so it's got that kind of peaceful and calm, like I'm resigned to my fate, except when the backing vocals really get angsty and angry and, um, and they sort of build up and become this, this thing that you realize that, no, she's terrified. And so I really like th- that. Those backing vocals really make the song for me. And I really love this song. Casey, what about you? Oh, okay. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I listened to it. This is another one I had to, I struggled to get through. And I, I was thinking as I was listening to it, why couldn't this be Toy Soldiers or, or the cover of I Feel the Earth Move or something like that. Or just, just, Kitchen. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That was the album. Okay. Yeah. And the follow-up single yeah, to this the, as well. And oh, the song. Right. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, another Prince song that's like a more upbeat kind of thing. I um I remember it vaguely from the time. I think it, it really um didn't rate much of much attention from me as an eleven year old. But yeah, I, I couldn't really get anything out of it except for wishing it was one of the Martika songs with a better hook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found find her vocal performance in it just really bored and phoned in. Um, that delayed reverb thing on the snare sound does my head in for the entire <laughs> length of the song, and I just I couldn't find anything in it to like. And I, I went back over it a couple of times. I will agree with you, Tim Byron, to to a point that that um, backing vocal line with the yelling out the satisfied that's probably the only redeeming feature and the only thing that does catch your ear at any point. But apart from that, I couldn't couldn't find a thing to like in it. 
You're having a terrible I, week. Oh, yeah, it was, it was difficult for me, yeah, this week. How many times do you even listen to these songs, this song in particular? Did you get through it? I got through this one probably twice. Right. I got through the Brian Adams one once <laughs> and, and like, the start of it probably about three or four other times. I am fine with this song, really. I'm with you, Casey, in that she had better songs. But I also, I guess, agree with everyone else, well, Tim Byron in particular, that there is something great about, well, there's something really good going on in a lot of places in this song, but I think overall the vibe, and I see the Prince thing, I see the Prince thing quite clearly in, like, he would do so many songs like this, these smooth ballads, sort of money don't matter, two nights sort of things, and it's fine, it does the job, but I don't find no deep connection with this, except... I always just thought Batika was hot. That was my thing. I can't I remember so thinking that she was hot. Cute, maybe. Yeah. But she kind of disappeared. <laughs> she completely dropped off the face of the planet at, at the time where that probably would have meant a lot more to me. But money, but getting back to the Prince thing there, Danny, the money don't matter tonight. Like that's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's the, the slower and more subdued, but it's, groovy. It's, and, yeah, and it's got it's soul. A, it's got a lot of soul. This has, I can't, find that in this as hard as I try. I find no actual groove or soul in it. Well, you know, what about nothing compares to you? Yeah. It's, it's that sort of vibe. And, and maybe he had that in mind because that song was such a but big there's hit. so much more conviction in the vocal to nothing compares to you. Sure. No, I don't think her vocal on this is that bad. Like, But I guess I'm listening to the backing vocals and there's lots of conviction in those and she's doing them. I think she's doing like all the backing vocals there. Yeah, this is like there, there is a version of this um, that you can find on YouTube. I think probably uh, with print with Prince doing the vocals and doing all the backing vocals, and it's a bit better as it would be because it's Prince, you know. Yeah, and um, yeah, like it's it's the same song, like same backing track and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's not that much better with Prince doing it. Like it's better, but it, you know she actually sells it pretty well. I think it's just one of those songs that was basically kind of like Madonna for mums. I think yeah, I, I agree with I Team agree. Coil that like. Yeah, like she was definitely trying to be Madonna, but like slightly edgy, and slightly less edgy in the same way that Brian Adams is trying to be Bruce Springsteen, but slightly less edgy, which is probably why Tim Coyle liked that. I think song. he's trying to be John Bon Jovi, but slightly less edgy. Oh, but Bon Jovi himself was trying to be. Well, Bruce exactly. Yeah. So I think that Brian Adams is a couple of steps down. No, but that's true. I mean, part of, part of, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. But part of the appeal was, oh, look, he's got sandy hair and he's wearing work boots. And it's yeah. kind of like, oh, that could be me. Whereas Melissa was a less edgy version of Colette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ring my bell, hey. That, that was probably before yeah, all this was I not, think it was. What a shame. I love that. <laughs> that, that that's a great song. <laughs> I guess just before we wrap it up with Martika, because there really is very little left to say. What? Do where, we, where is she now? What? Is, is that what you were going to say? Didn't she, tour, didn't she tour here last year? She, yeah, she, she did. She um, did. She, she did an interview last year with Noise 11 where she was talking about how the song was written. And, and she wrote it, uh, she wrote a, like a, a poem that was a prayer and um, Prince came over to collaborate with her and saw like her, her book of um, poems and saw that one, photocopied it, um, took it back home with him. He wrote the song and made a, a demo of it, which he uh, mailed to her on a cassette back in the day when people mailed cassettes rather than emailed MP3s, I guess. And, um, and yeah, that was the song. You didn't just drop box it to him? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, my question about Martika really was, do we all agree that Toy Soldiers is a great song and Bar her superior. best song? Yeah. Well, to, Toy Soldiers is a pretty phenomenal song, actually, because uh, <laughs> listening listening to Love Thy Will Be Done 
this week just made me think, oh, yeah, Toy Soldiers. I kind of vaguely remember that. Watching that on YouTube, it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of not what I was expecting. And I remembered it. It came flooding back. That's that's an amazing result. Same, like I, I went and, and, and flushed my ears out with Toy Soldiers after listening to this. <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? I think I like this better than Toy Soldiers. Oh, like, I don't have that much relationship to Toy Soldiers. Perhaps I'm a little bit younger because that was that and I feel the Earth move for more like 88, 89. And so mm. I don't think I was paying attention to them, whereas this, I was paying attention. And I just have to say, I hate. I feel the Earth move. Oh, really? But I guess because I love the original so much. Well, I didn't, I, I never knew, I well, never, but I didn't know that mm. that was a cover for until years later. Oh, uh, yeah, 101.7 WS was um, big in my oh, house. I, I knew it. My, yeah. parents, my parents wouldn't let me forget it. Right. This, this was a cover and it was the worst thing yeah. ever. Okay. <laughs> 2WS always did that thing. And you, you, you listened to that too, Danny? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've started a Facebook group about six, seven years ago that was just a joke called 2WS Made Me Love Music. And every yeah. so often I check into it, it's got thousands of members. <laughs> so. But 2WS did that thing was when there was a cover in the charts in the 90s and, and 2WS would play the old version and they would yes. play it in high rotation. Yes. So, like, when I Feel the Earth Move would have been, like, in the charts, they would have played Carol King a lot. They did the same for, like, you know, when Tears of a Clown by Caligula was up in the charts, like, they would play the Smokey Robinson. Yes, you know, I stuff like that, that as well. It was, it was good for education. Did they, did, yeah. did they play the original version of um, Give Me Some Kind of Sign, Girl, Show Me That You're Mine, Girl? <laughs> yeah, I think they did, actually. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to, let's face it, the last two songs of tonight, which I think we really want to talk about. This is our fourth song of tonight, and this was number one for two weeks on the 19th of October, 1991. And this is Big Audio Dynamite with Rush. If I have my time again... How do you feel about this song? Oh, I feel really good about this song, finally. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. So many memories came back with this one. I remembered it so well. I remember loving it to death. Um, my brother, who's come up a bunch of times on this podcast and who will come up again, played this in the first band that he was in. Really? Yeah. Your brother was in a band? He was, yeah. He played, um, I think he was playing bass in this one. So wow. explain how they do the middle section. So one guy in particular who is uh, a fairly, what's the word? I was Virtuistic um, keyboard player who could do all the organ parts really, really well. Um, and Robert himself did the, the voice, the voiceover voice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I loved it then and I really, really enjoyed listening to it this week. It made me really happy. I got through it a lot more times than any of the other ones. But a few things in it that I had not so much forgotten but didn't get at the time, being the big one being the, the sample out of the Who song, which I just never caught at the time because I guess I didn't Yeah, know from Barbara O'Reilly. From Barbara O'Reilly, yeah. But, yeah, loved it. Tim Coyle, what about you? 
Yeah, I, I really liked the song at the time. I think everyone seemed to really like the song at the time. There was a huge buzz around this. I, I, I maybe didn't like it as much as some of my friends did. There was kind of a period where one of my friends was trying to voice the album on every single one of us via birthday presents. Um, <laughs> we would keep buying Big Audio Dynamite albums. <laughs> and I guess, I guess at this time you were still sort of lamenting the fact that the Brian Adams song wasn't number one. Yeah, so. yeah. It was a period of mourning for me. And it's, it's, it's kind of odd because Mick Jones, of course, would become very much one of my heroes. Right. Um, and, yeah, someone I love to death in pretty much everything he's done. And look, this song, this song is great. It has all of the the mickish virtues that we, that we could list it's just um his love of different parts of music shines through mm-hmm. in all of it it it's eclectic but it's not trying too hard in in what it's doing in pulling from so many different styles and different genres it, it just makes it work and yeah kind of the the big thing about it was that the the middle part where things go a bit Nutso and the, the, the awful voice, um, the, the awful vocal part, and also me look damn creepy in that video. Did, didn't he? And I didn't know who he was at the time. Yeah, but, no. But um, yeah, it was kind of yeah, Big Audio Dynamite two. You could shorten it to Bad two, <laughs> which they did. Yeah, on this. They, were, they were kind of they were kind of dangerous, which maybe was what made me less committal towards them than, than others. But yeah, the, the song was great. They weren't Brian Adams. A, no, exactly. <laughs> they weren't Brian Adams. Uh, this, but Rush was great at the time. It's great now. Tim Byron, what about you? I only have sort of kind of vagueish memories of this song from the time in a way. And I think maybe I was still in the UK where this wasn't actually much of a hit. But I remember buying the single for The Globe, which was the follow-up single. Yeah. And, I, and I, I had this sort of memory that maybe I bought The Globe because I really wanted Rush, but then Rush wasn't around because it had been deleted. Yeah. Oh, when things were deleted. Yeah, when things were deleted. And, um, yeah, it, it's funny for me, like, with this one, because, yeah, I'd started buying cast singles by now. Like, the, the first cast singles I bought, I bought them when I was in the UK on holiday, and I bought um, Chocolate Cake by A Crowded House, which was, you know, which I'm still quite happy about. And I also bought Any Dream Will Do from the Joseph and the Technicolor Dream soundtrack sung by Jason Donovan. Wow. <laughs> which is, like, you know, for, from the sublime to the... Some whatever. <laughs> yeah. From the sublime and, um, to the Jason Donovan. <laughs> yeah, from the sublime to the Jason Donovan. And yeah, so like I know the globe in some ways better than Rush, but yeah, Rush is it's just a fantastic song. Like it's just so clever how it puts together all the all the hip hop samples and like the sat you know, the the weird, unexpected kind of things and the way he sings, which at the time I remember thinking that he was a really bad singer, but I loved it anyway. And and that's the that's the punk thing coming out, that just the kind of like not caring and that the way it kind of put together the punk and hip hop stuff was just great. And, um, but like, you know, in the end it's a novelty song. And so I was nine years old and I was going to, I was going to love this stuff and I was going to love the globe. And, um, yeah, I mean, like I didn't know what punk was at that point. Like I didn't really know what hip hop was outside of rappers. I didn't understand that like there was, you know, samples and things like that and how that worked. But like, I, I don't know. I remember, I remember reading and like, in Smash Hits magazine, which I'd also started buying at this point, a, a review which was probably around this time as well of um, of Nevermind by by Nirvana, and in the review it described it as as power pop, and I didn't know what power pop was at this point, um, but I was like, no. that makes sense. It's sort of pop that's kind of a bit, bit powerful. So that's how it started. 
that was the radioactive spider. Um, <laughs> I love this song. God, it's such a great song. I, yeah. It is still one of the most played songs on my iPod. I listen to it, you know, once a month and the globe. It is just, yeah, it is pop. It is rock. It's hip-hop. It's dance. It's very dancey. And I think... But so that, that drum thing, it's all a loop. Like, you watch the clip and there's somebody singing there playing a drum kit, but that is a loop all yeah. the way through. The bizarre... <coughs> yeah, it's a sample from the Tommy Rowe song called Sweet Pea, apparently. Oh, there you go. And the bizarre and just lovely, crazy middle section. Oh. The rhythm yeah. and melody. Rhythm, rhythm and melody. I wish I could sing like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who is that guy? Do we know? That's Peter Sellers. Is that Peter Sellers? <sighs> yeah. That is fantastic. Peter Sellers and Mick Jones... But I think the comment that I think Tim Cole you made, did any of us know the clash at this point? No, this is this is certainly the first exposure um I had to yeah, anything like the clash. And I probably had no idea like I, I reckon I joined those dots back to Big Audio Dynamite much later. Much, much, mm. much later. Same. You see, I think I knew who the clash were at this point because in the UK, um, not too long before I was there. The Clash actually had a number one single with a re-release of Should I Stay, Should I Go. Okay. Which, which has been on a jeans ad. And so I, I think I remember hearing that around. And I think the reason that Rush got to uh, number one here and was also quite big in the US was because Rush was um, the B-side to the re-release in the UK of, of the Clash song. Like oh, Mick really? Jones must have been like, I'm only going to let you release that if you if you put my new song on the B side because the B side is is good. And we we didn't get that ad in the, in Australia, obviously. And so we heard this other new song without the context and thought it was great without worrying about who the Clash were. So Mick's and Joe's lawyers were kind of on amicable terms at the time. Or? Yeah, somewhat amicable, I guess. I think this was the years where Joe just didn't care about anything ever. Mm. <laughs> and when someone found him in a pub and asked him to start a band 10 years later, like, yeah. And, like, I mean, Mick gets a little bit of the McCartney thing. Like, he, like especially now, he didn't leave the beautiful corpse. You know, this, The Clash is so tied up with Strummer's philosophy, but Mick wrote fantastic songs in The Clash, and he brought, you know, Strummer in The Clash might have been a bad... Dr. Feelgood type, just pub rock band that was very straight if it wasn't for Mick. Mm. He brought, and yeah, sitting free from the clash, he just well, went. So, yeah, Mick also helped with their politics as well, and Joe's politics developed quite a lot from knowing Mick. Um, he, d- he deepened a lot of, I guess, kind of the superficial uh, left-wing ideas that, mm. that Joe had. They became a lot deeper given Mick's... Um, Mixed lineage with kind of uh, Welsh Welsh miners and uh, and his Jewish background um, were quite significant in fitting into the, into the band's philosophy. And as as Dan was saying, he makes such a huge contribution to the Clash. And as a contrasting songwriter to to Joe, mm. his his influence on that band is uh, is played down a bit too much. It's it's huge. And what are some of Mick's songs and some of um Joe Strong's like can you sort of like sort of give the sort of classic songs of each to get a sense of like who did what well oddly enough probably the most famous Mick song and the song that is most tied up with Mick's say biography in his life was a song that Joe wrote well, for Mick Lost in the Supermarket Lost in the Supermarket Joe Strummer even though but Mick sang it yeah and, and he, he wrote, wrote it he wrote yeah. it about Mick um, but I guess Training Bane oh yeah and is, is yeah. a Mick yeah like, should I stay should I go 
Yeah, well, so should I say or should I go makes up the, pretty much 100% of the globe when you, <laughs> you listen to it. <laughs> and that, that I didn't realise until I went back and listened to it this week as well because I remembered the um, a couple of the samples being taken from um, or I knew that a couple of the samples were taken from Should I Stay or Should I Go, but then I, I didn't realise that entire guitar part came out of it as well. <laughs> I have such a soft spot for Mick, and it was a thrill to see him recently with Gorillaz because oh. he was out in that band. Mm. And yeah, he this song is amazing. What and do we all agree as well that the Globe is great? I agree that the Globe is great. I think Rush is a much better song. Though. Really? Okay. Yes. I think, yeah, I think the Globe is good and Rush is great. Yeah. yeah. It's funny though because I've got a, like a um, like a mix of '90s songs that we that we have that we listen to in the car. That's just like a sort of on shuffle kind of thing on my iPhone, and um, when the ru- when Rush comes on, JD automatically skips it and goes next. Really, like, in, the, in the car thing because she just like something about his voice is just like way too much for her, and she she, she just finds it nails down the chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> There's protests in the background. Yes. We've got a guest star this week, ladies and gentlemen. We will, uh, <laughs> we will transcribe what JD says on the blog. On, on the blog, <laughs> <laughs> probably take out the swear words. Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh. she's got such a dirty mouth. Yeah, edit yes. out the past where she audibly hits Tim. <laughs> yeah, and now she's giving me the finger on the couch. Look, I, I think there's nothing else for me to say except I can go on for another 25 minutes just going. This song is awesome. Yeah, and yeah, and we all love this song, and we all love the Clash. Do we love Big Audio Dynamite? I don't know. Big yeah, Audio Dynamite. Um, so what's the rest of the album like, Tim Coyle, seeing you got it for your, your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, I think I listened to Rush and The Globe mm. a lot and stuff around it was good but not didn't really distinguish itself in the same way. I Yeah, it's uh, look, Big Audio Dynamite, Big Audio Dynamite 2 and Big Audio... We're not the clash as far as... I was going to say, if we start talking about Big Audio Dynamite 1, then I might have some more to say. Yeah. (laughs) To our final song of tonight. This song was number one for just one week on the 2nd of November, 1991. And this is The Fly by U2. time and there was just a lot of anticipation about the album and the song. This was, I think it's the first single off Uptown Baby 
And U2, they've been around for a long time at this point. But I think the, the first memories I have of U2 are All I Want Is You and mm. the film clip to that, which is a masterpiece in and of itself. Uh, and yeah, this song was a million miles removed from that. They had taken a completely different direction with this. And uh, I'd always been fascinated by the Edge's guitar sounds and guitar playing, and this just upped it a notch altogether. This was something else for me, even though, look, what, you two were doing at this time was that they were immersing themselves in a lot more interesting and edgier music environments than than what they'd been used to and especially what I'd been hearing and just kind of bringing that back to everyone else. So, yeah, this, um, I, I, I kind of, I really liked the song then and, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to it this week. Casey Atkins, what about you? I didn't even remember it. Really? I don't, I don't think I knew it. I couldn't. Really? Yeah. Bizarre, I know. I just didn't even remember it at the time. And I knew, knew you two really well. And if we were to talk about you know, Mysterious Ways or other singles from around the time, I, I'd have a lot more to say. But I listened to it and I really struggled to remember it. Wow. Yeah. You've had a terrible week. Oh, it's been a <laughs> shocker. It's, re- it's really been bad for me. I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that playlist didn't get much of a go apart from um, Big Audio Dynamite. Um, I didn't mind listening to it. Um, I I certainly got it as a song. I thought the, the guitar bits were, were great. And it's one of those things with you two from the time. I probably didn't really like what was going on with the Edges guitar at the time. And I've... I've come back to it and come back to appreciate it. But the guitar, it wasn't the guitar playing I was listening to and liking at the time, but like I was also listening to quite a lot of Tommy Emmanuel at this point. So, <laughs> so it was your fault. Not <laughs> yeah, oh yes, absolutely. This is what I'm saying completely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I really, I just did not remember it from the time. Mm. So that's me. This one. Interesting. Tim Byron, what about you? Hang on, let me put it on my um, wraparound, you know, totally black shades and I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, at That's the, a at great the time, visual I'd... joke for a podcast, Tim. <laughs> what about your black leather suit? Yeah, yeah, and um, there's a TV behind me flashing everything you know is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, at the time I thought this was absolutely amazing. Like, you two were the biggest band in the world at the time and, like, this song just kind of, like, like it was just amazing to me and I thought it was, like, incredible. I thought Bono was a genius with his lyrics and like even now, like I was looking <laughs> to the lyrics today, and um, the lyric "Every artist is a cannibal, every poet is a thief, oh, or kill their inspiration and sing about their grief." I thought that was just amazing. Like that was just like whoa. And I mean, I was nine, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but I still think that's a it's a pretty good line. And um, so yeah, yeah, I thought I thought they were great, and I thought this song was great. My mum bought the album of Uptown Baby, and I list, I sort of stole it basically and listened to it a lot and um, still have that album around somewhere. It's um, she, she must've got it when it came out because it's the one that has um, the nudie photo of um, the drummer or the bass player on the back where you can see his penis. Um, yeah. It was Adam's the bass player. You can see his penis on the cover. Yeah. And so, and so that was only on the first edition. And then Sorry. I was a bit too something. confident about that. Wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know it was his penis, Danny? Well, you can see his face as well face. as the penis. Yeah. I always get those two mixed up. I'm, I'm never sure which one is which, which is the bass player and which is the drummer. What, the penises or the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, so, yeah, listening, 
listening to that now, um, yeah, Octone Baby, I still really like as an album. I don't know whether I'd bother like going out and getting the, the two CD deluxe edition or the five CC, five CD super deluxe edition or anything like that. But I still like that album quite a lot. I like the, um, the, the sort of the sound of it and the kind of weirder, edgier Berlininess of it because they recorded it in Berlin, of course, like, um, you know, people do when they're trying to go for edgy and weird and <laughs> pretend that they've listened to Kraftwerk and Can and stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I really loved The Fly and I thought it had some great lyrics and it was really different. And, like, the, the stuff in the video where um, that has the TV flashing stuff like uh, Everything You Know Is Wrong and Watch More TV, and they they really um, took that and made that a thing in their live shows and um, yes. live videos. But that blew my mind at the time. I'd never really come across that before and come across the idea that, you know, the TV – it is a weird thing and it's kind of fucked up and the world is kind of fucked up and weird and we can kind of laugh about it, but it's kind of really disturbing. We should do something about it. that kind of like feeling that that was not something that I think I only really came across with the fly. And so it was, it was big for me. Well, for me, I love this song. I love this album. And I, I guess I shared very similar things with Tim Byron, which is like, Oh my God, this song is amazing. It's the cleverest song I've ever heard. Those <laughs> lyrics. And as the years go by, I still love up to maybe to, to death. Not so much The Fly, though it's a great song. And Bono's lyrics, oh, I don't want to be that guy. It's so easy to hate on Bono. But, God, he just it's just this thing of he's, he's always doing these sort of lyrics, the whole uh, the every artist is a cannibal, every poet is a thief, but it's all that, you know, you're dangerous because you're honest. Would you lie to me because I asked you to? Like, all that sort of, it's like, oh, it's just... As the years go by, it does my head in. There is a little bit of a shift in his lyrics between what he was doing in the 80s, which is that very earnest, idealistic kind of thing. To Aktong Baby, he is very cynical on this album. But he just does that one thing of going, here's an idea and I'll invert it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I do. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. So, you know, like, and he's made a bazillion dollars doing, and it's just abstract enough to be arty and interesting enough that it catches your ear. And it means nothing at all. But, yeah, but this song is great. And Uptown Baby, for me, is, and I guess we'll talk about this in a second, is probably the masterpiece of an album. So I guess I want to talk about you two just before for this, because I know we'll get a chance to talk more about them later on. In fact, a couple of chances. But I guess talk about you two up till now, and including Uptown Baby. So... So How did you feel about U2 in the 80s? This was the thing for me because I liked U2 and there was nothing that I didn't really like up until this point and that's why I'm so surprised that I just could not for the life of me recall this song being a single and being a number one. And a it's not really a song that's still played on radio. Like it's no, not it's one of the not. U2 ones. And it's, uh, I think it's odd. It's the thing that U2 would do again with Zuropa, which is the first single was supposed to be a bit of a... Like, they didn't need it to chart. It was just deliberately weird. Yeah. And yeah. just to throw people. And then the next, this first single from the next record was Numb, which was the song that The Edge sang. But I remember Numb really well. <laughs> I remember Numb mainly for the film clip, though. Yeah, it's great, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it was just his face with um, people just, poking yeah. feet and things. And, yeah. But it's just interesting. I think it got to number one on the back of anticipation for the record. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the song, like, if they put out Mysterious Ways first or... Ride Your Wild Horses first, that would have been number one. Yeah. Or the one. one. Yeah. So, yeah, but you loved you 2 before? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't say loved. Um, they weren't our favourite band, but I, there wasn't anything that I didn't like. What about from the early stuff? From before, or including Up to Baby, do you have a favourite song by you? Yeah. Does one stand out? 
Oh, move around the room, I'll think about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of, as I said... All favourite songs. Well, uh, All I Want Is You is the my first real exposure to you 2 and I still have a, a place for that. I still go back to that song and enjoy it. And, yeah, that song just blew my mind. I think it got to number one as well uh, a few years before this, but also the film clicked to that, which was set in a circus, and there's the, the beautiful trapeze artist and the dwarf's in love, but he can't do that. And, yeah, just, just that kind of thing. And then the, the dwarf himself gets up on the trapeze. And, and now there's Game of Thrones yeah, and there's dwarf sex everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so you two kind of paved the way for Peter Dinklage um, <laughs> in, in, in that way. So yeah, he, he, he owes them a vast debt, and a Lannister always pays their debts. <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? I liked you two a lot up until, and I think I'd never really stopped liking them up until about, um, what's that, the 2000 album like that has uh, Beautiful Day and Stuck in a Moment. And all that, all that you can't leave behind. Yeah. All that you can't leave behind. I love that record. Yeah, <laughs> Which I really went you, off but... them on that one because I really liked the U2 that was um, cynical and weird and like doing all the kind of culture jammy kind of stuff. And they totally went back to the 80s kind of stuff on that album. And I was like, uh uh-huh. And so I, I kind of like went off them at about that point and after that, after with a bit of space, I realised that Bono was a bit of a douche, <laughs> which I hadn't realised before that. And you mentioned the the bonus disc double edition thing, and I was thinking about buying it, the massive box set, and I didn't. And one of the reasons I didn't is that I was against some of the things they did in it. This is just the kind of thing that I do. Uh, and one of the things is one of the bonus discs, like the seven bonus discs, one of them is Zuropa. Yeah. And there's just like, I mean, this, that album is just way too good for that. That pretty much wraps it up for you two, unless there's anyone. Uh, except I just remembered that I, I would say that oh, yes, probably right. Pride would be my favorite song for the name of Bob. Pre that. Yeah. Oh yes. And I guess for me, uh, yeah, I really love the Joshua tree. And I really love a lot of the songs for it, like Running to Stand Still. And you gave me, Tim, you gave me the Unforgettable Fire on final for my 18th birthday, yeah. I remember. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and Bad, do you know that song? Yeah, that's an amazing song. Yeah, and it was really annoying because you could only get it on that friggin' EP, Wide Awake in America. <laughs> and it was just like, and then it was on the greatest hits. But this is the kind of things that are. Yeah, I remember listening to Bad and it was like revelatory to me. It's oh my God, it's about a heroin addict. <laughs> never has you know, I, I hadn't harder. listened to the Velvet Underground at that point yeah, yeah. it's kind of Nirvana hadn't quite made sense to me at that point yeah. either so yeah that, that was wow you can write music about this stuff and you said the Berlin thing and it was it's what you do when you move to Berlin and blah, 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 but that was you know, the Berlin War happened, what, a couple of years before they went yeah, there? The, the, the whole, year after the they whole went there? go to Berlin and it will make me more edgy thing hadn't, it, it wasn't a thing at the time. Yeah, it's, it was. It's so much. Yeah, well, yeah, Lou Reed and that kind of thing. Yeah, but David Bowie extent, had done it, yeah, Nick Cave had look, done to, it by that point. To, to the extent that it is a cliche now, it was not the same thing. And have you seen that documentary about the making of Uptown Baby? No. Which is... Kind of fantastic, but kind of just makes you hate Bono even more. <laughs> and there's Is that one, one of the, the bonus discs of the five of the seven yeah. CD deluxe edition or something? Yeah, it's disc nine. And, <laughs> and what is great about it, I guess from the edge anyway, because I like the edge more and more as the years go on, he, he basically said, yeah, 
we totally went to Berlin to the same studio that Bowie recorded and Lou Reed recorded, and it was going to be great. And then we realised that we turned up there, and that's not actually how you do it. And that we this is the dingiest little like apartment, and it's terrible. Like we have no songs, there's no atmosphere here, and the only atmosphere that was ever here was brought there by Bowie and Lou Reed and Tony Visconti and Iggy Pop. So they actually said that it made them work harder. Like they didn't just go, yes, like you know, watching Sound City, it's like, oh, we walked into Sound City, and yes, everything's just awesome, and yeah. Gold Star Studios and whatever. Like they actually just went, they they wasted all this time. Um, just basically going, we made the wrong decision and we hate this place. Well, that just about wraps it up for us tonight for another episode of 90% Hits. We will do as we normally do, which is we go around the table and just check in on what everyone's favourite song that we talked about is from this week. And i got a feeling I already know what Casey's is. <laughs> uh, but for the sake of theatre, let's just go through the songs one more time. We had Melissa with Read My Lips. Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Matika, Love, Thy Will Be Done. <laughs> uh, Big Audio, Dynamite's Rush. Or Big Audio, Dynamite 2's Rush. And you 2 The Fly. Casey, let's get it out of the way. Hmm, no, I wish I could sing like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be Big Audio, Dynamite 2 for me. Tim Coyle? Yeah, I, I, uh, Rush for me as well. Tim Byron? Read my lips. No, only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was that? The Fly by you 2 Really? Yep. Okay, well, I would have to go with Big Audio Dynamite and Brush. It is just one of the greatest songs, probably my favourite song of the year that we're talking about. It was pretty close for me. It was between those two, and I picked the, the one that you guys didn't, really. <laughs> I like saying deliberately contrary. I, I, pick, I picked what you sheeple didn't. <laughs> well, that brings us to a close. Uh, Casey Atkins, you want to let people know where we can find us on the internet? Absolutely. You can find us um, at 90% hits on Twitter, 90% hits at gmail.com, 90% hits.tumblr.com. Uh, percent spelled out in words. Um, on the Tumblr, you'll find links to the audio and Spotify playlists, some um, YouTube clips from some of the songs, the show notes, um, actually direct links to the uh, podcast download. And everything you need, I guess. Everything you need. So next week, we will be back with two more songs from 1991, wrapping it up, followed by three songs from 1992. Thanks for listening. Not everything singing, you know. The only important thing these days is. Everything I do.